Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For, the show with the highest pollen count in Kansas City. Uh, it is allergy season, so just a heads up that my voice is terrible right now. How are you guys doing today? Pretty sneezy. Thanks for stuffed asking. Up and, <laughs> stuffed up and ready to go. Yeah. God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, before we start doing our ever-loved bits that we are incredibly famous for and making terrible jokes first, again, I want to talk about um, important issues that are in our city and our country. Um, Please donate to One Struggle KC, uh, Transformations KC, or any local freedom fund, bail fund, anything that helps support disenfranchised populations in your uh, city. I'll do another plug. On uh, both Facebook and Instagram, there are great links to go through and make sure you are registered to vote as well as get an absentee ballot. Um, And so while it's kind of a trope and doesn't exactly fix everything just to go vote, um, it is probably the single easiest thing that you can do to make sure that you're making a difference. So make sure that you are registered and that you can vote. And even if you don't like either person, there's probably one that will not make the world go on fire. So please uh, give that a shot. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. So with that taken care of, what have you guys been watching over the past couple weeks? Riley, you want to talk about Mulan? Yeah, so Jeff and I watched Mulan, uh, Disney's adaptation of the cartoon uh, Mulan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great source material. Mulan was... It is an adaptation of a legend though, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be, and apparently neither one got it right. Yeah, it, adaptation is used very loosely, but yes. I couldn't have imagined the animated one got it right. Jeff, the general consensus we were talking about is it's it's okay, it which is kind of where all the Disney live action fall. Like, it's mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, like I told Jeff, I think a lot of the hate that it's getting is from people that have not seen kung fu movies that use high wire, and they're like, oh. this is terrible. But like... Obviously, you you just never been around this. Like, it's really not bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, there yeah, are Crouching st- Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. Hero. Like, you know, they all use that. So that's a tough hill to climb for people that aren't familiar with what wire work is and what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Because but- if you if you were exposed to it without knowing what it is, that's gonna look bad. Right. But obviously, they use that to show that this is like a legend and you're being told a story mm-hmm. um, and then there's some other aspects Jeff do you want to touch on the midichlorians that Mulan possessed <laughs> yeah I'm not going to take credit for comparing the midichlorians to the the chi that she has I think that was Karen Han who is a great follow on Twitter if you don't follow yes. her and basically what it boils down to is in the original story like Mulan is this great is a good soldier but she doesn't come in that way you know and so she gets trained but through her own like will and steadfastness like basically becomes a, a warrior and in this one it like right away talks about how much chi she has like how, how much kind of her own internal energy is like off the charts and so it becomes a very much like a midichlorians conversation um where i think there's two perspectives on it and i'll kind of share my perspective and then um my wife actually had a, a really good perspective on it which is my perspective was you know it, it seems weird that she would have to start out with an ability and that's why she's special is because she has high G, not because of like her character or anything else like that. So that's, that was one perspective. The other perspective, which I actually think is probably what they were going for is that, you know, Mulan has this talent and feels like she has to hide it because she's a woman and it would not be respected and or accepted. And so the whole point of the movie, which is the point of the original Mulan is that she has to hide who she is in order to excel and, you know, my wife was saying that's a very relatable thing for women, which obviously I Definitely. cannot exactly relate to. So I think that that is obviously what they were going for. And I think in that aspect, they did nail it. Where it fits in the story is a little wonky, but I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that's Mulan. I think, especially for a family, I think it's worth the $30 purchase. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think even us splitting it, that's four people quote-unquote, going to see Mulan. So right. it was worth it. Yeah, and I I probably would have... Uh, I, I would have maybe seen it in theaters. I don't know for sure. I probably, I probably would have. 
yeah. I, I would have seen it in theaters just because of the kung fu pedigree that's present there. Yeah. Um, that I'm still on the fence. I mean, since you guys have done it, I'll probably contribute and end up watching it. I'm still, I've been very vocal. I'm not a huge fan of the premium uh, VOD model uh, because yeah. of what it can potentially do to our theaters. I but think that's fair. I, I'll still probably give it a watch. Yeah. I think the difference, the hard thing, right, is you know, micro versus macro, like, right. Does it make sense for me as an individual consumer to do it? Probably. Does it, mm-hmm. does it hurt, you know, what a theater could do? Definitely. But I also think it's, you don't exactly have a choice. I mean, in some cases there are some theaters that are still doing um, like Milan showings, but I don't think there's a, a wide variety. Well, so no. For... So Disney actually, um, there are not theaters, as far as I know, there are not theaters doing Mulan shows. At all. Okay. No, and because Disney pulled them to do to go directly to premium VOD. Gotcha. Um, I know Adam from Screenland, um, he did a live stream discussing why that was such an issue for them and for other theaters. Uh, because that was potentially going to be one of the biggest money makers for theaters this year. Because it's a big family hit. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously not as many people are going to make it out. I'm still somebody that's not comfortable sitting in a theater. If you are, though, like definitely support those because moves like that are really hurting these theaters. All right. So, yeah, that was Mulan. Um, <laughs> what else did I watch? Oh, yes. I watched for the first time the movie Shin Godzilla. Yes. Ooh. And wow, what a Godzilla movie that is! Um, it is, that's the it's the perfect Godzilla movie. Absolutely, uh, you know they tie in all the old Godzilla music sounds, but make it a a modern day movie. Um, I think I said in our group chat it made me <laughs> it made me hate King of the Monsters and the twenty fourteen Godzilla. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Um, the American versions because you just see how good they could have been. Um, I ended up giving Shin Godzilla, I think a nine, eight and a half or nine, somewhere in there. Um, definitely one I'm going to be watching again. Yeah. I, you, you texted me and I was like, man, I want to watch that movie again. It's, I, I think it does a really great job of actually making Godzilla imposing. Right. Which, is difficult to do since he's been around for just so long at this point. Jeff, how about you? What have you been watching? Let's see. I mean, since the last time we recorded, we have actually all watched a lot of movies together. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> so I, uh, I would like to talk about one of the movies that I saw for the first time, which is the evil dead reboot. Yeah. Um, which um, I, I like in, respect the originals but i had way more fun with the 2013 i think it's it, not it's just more fun for a group it's not Definitely. a surprise i mean if you've listened to the pod before like it's not a surprise like i i like old horror but i, I like it in a different way that i like new horror and so 2013 reboot was a, a great venn diagram of both of those right it was a little bit faster um it was a little bit gnarlier um and the way it was shot was similar to the way it was shot before but I think updated for a modern audience. And so I fully recognize, I wish I was a bigger fan of some of the older stuff. So I thought the 2013 reboot was a great speed for me. Good kills too. Oh yeah. It's one of those movies that, especially at a bachelor party, uh, when you guys have just been pounding bush lights all day that you are, uh, (laughs) trying to keep everybody engaged because the first like 20 minutes, it's all build. After the like cold open, that's super gnarly, and you just have to keep telling everybody like, no, don't worry, it takes off right about here. And then boy, because does it's it like, take off. Yep, it takes off, and then it does not let off the gas until the movie is over. Yeah, that was a really good one. Good pick, Ty. Yep. Also made everybody watch Brain Damage, which uh, <laughs> less of a hit. <laughs> less of a hit. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll that also goes it. with the time of time of night that we chose to start that one yeah <laughs> that is true but i i don't know any time that brain damage would have gone over super well but it's one that i packed specifically for that reason i think brain damage might be a movie better enjoyed through youtube clips versus watching all of it <laughs> yeah i mean we did watch it specifically for one scene yeah yeah <laughs> 
which and if you're familiar with uh, Frank Henenlotter's brain damage, you know exactly which scene that is. The specific scene in question uh, is much shorter in the uh, rated version of the movie. Oh, that sounds lame. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jeff, have you talked about what you watched outside Mulan? We t- I talked about Evil Dead. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you uh, had anything else. I, I've watched a few things here and there, but the big thing that I wanted to talk about was I was so excited to finally see a new movie during the pandemic because the drive-in was showing Tenet. That was a mistake. A movie like Tenet is not meant to be seen at the drive-in uh, because so we couldn't we couldn't put it on the radio because that's a two and a half hour movie and we didn't want to kill the car battery. So we always we bring we bring a speaker, hook it up to a phone. Uh, and use a radio app on our phones. They never started the station on the, like they never started the stream for the station and it was only on the actual radio and you couldn't get it over any phone app because we tried several and we downloaded and downloaded and tried again and we never got it to work. So we couldn't hear and the projection was blurry, which was garbage. It was just a horrible experience. And we left after an hour, like after it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to watch it. I just like, turned away from the screen until we were ready to leave because it's like, I want to watch this eventually and I want to have a fresh experience. Are you guys there? What's happening? Yeah, we're just listening. Oh. Well, I'm done. All right. <laughs> you be... ended up on kind of a high note. I thought you were going to come back. I don't remember what I said last. Uh, the camera was super blurry and you like looked away. Anyway, yeah, that was my experience trying to watch Tenet at the drive-in. Uh, it's best served for movies you've already seen or something like Bill and Ted, I imagine. I'm am pumped to see Bill and Ted, uh, but probably don't try and watch Christopher Nolan's newest, uh, highly technical film at the drive-in. With that, should we get into today's movie? Which I don't think we've said what we're doing. <laughs> no, not I yet. I mean, it'll be no. in the episode title. We are reviewing Nicolas Cage's Con Air. Con Air. Con Air. And I, yes. <laughs> Army Ranger. <laughs> Put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a confession, you guys. Con Air? I've seen that. Oh, really? This was a first time viewing for me. This was my wow. first time watching it all the way through. I had definitely seen wow. bits and pieces. Um, oh, man. Yeah, first time start to finish. This is wild, a movie that I've seen like multiple times that you guys haven't. That's crazy. It's one of those that I like. I knew so much about it that I just never watched yeah, it. And I had seen exactly. clips and whatnot. And it's like, it, it's the true, I've seen that because I could get my way through an entire conversation about Con Air just from like general pop culture knowledge. Context clues. Yeah. Yeah. But it, uh, man, not to give too much away about ratings, but this movie rules. It does. It, it, Pretty good. Yeah, it's a good one. So before we get into what we liked about it, let's do a brief Rotten Tomatoes rundown. Uh, 55% on the tomato meter, 75% audience score, uh, directed by Simon West, released in 1997. Uh, this is a Disney movie. <laughs> Wait, what? Least, Wait, or is the, it owned so by Rot- Disney now? It, that's what I'm not sure. Rotten Tomatoes is telling me the studio is Disney. I don't think that's right. I'm pretty sure it was a Fox movie. Because it was a Jerry Bruckheimer film. Mm. Yeah, it's not saying anything else about uh, about where it is or what the ownership of it is. So I assume that's one that Disney probably acquired through I, a uh, I'm through pretty sure it was by Touchstone. Takeover. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was by Touchstone. Touchdown and Jerry Bruckheimer, which I think mm. are are oh yeah, producer Jerry Bruckheimer's first film after the death of his partner Don Simpson. Oh, huh. All right, huh. all bad. right. So if you're not familiar with uh, Con Air, a brief synopsis: Former war hero and Army Ranger Cameron Poe is sentenced to eight years in prison when he accidentally kills a man in a barroom brawl while defending his pregnant wife. When his release comes through, he's eager to see his daughter he's never met. However, Poe's original flight is delayed, so he's put aboard a flight transporting 10 of the most dangerous men in the American penal system. I'm sorry, like, I can't, I can't get through the synopsis because <laughs> that being their solution to his flight being delayed. <laughs> One of the criminals, Cyrus the Virus Grissom, played by John Malkovich, is a serial killer and insane genius who has hatched a diabolical plot. 
with the help of several other hoods, including Diamond Dog, Johnny23, and Garland Green. Not really with Garland Green's help. Cyrus and his men will hijack the plane and fly to a neutral nation where they can live as free men. And we are absolutely going to do some rotten reviews for this one. <laughs> yeah, this is a very polarizing Let's... movie. Yeah. You either think that you, you either absolutely love this movie or you just see it as a piece of crap. Yeah. And let me tell you what. It's both. I certainly do not see it as a piece of crap. <laughs> it's both. It's, it's not good, but man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's one. I don't know how it happened or what Simon West was thinking, but the first half of Con Air is a brilliant, and the second half is a nonstop climax and a dim-witted one at that. I don't know why you'd be mad about a nonstop <laughs> climax. Yeah. Pigs have that. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, Peter Travers, a uh, common common name on our Rotten Reviews. They're the worst of the worst. So's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And here we go. Jerry Bruckheimer hands Simon West the reins, and West drives this carriage, which is chock full of great actors, straight over the cliff. Now... Those are all a lot of people that we do not agree with. So let's talk about why we like Con Air. I think it's really hard to discuss this movie without discussing Nicolas Cage first. Yes. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this tweet. We'll, we'll put it out from the pod account um, before we release this episode. Have you guys seen the new clip of, yes. of Nicolas Cage talking about acting? About going over the top. Yeah, he's like, no, I haven't. He says, you show me where the top is. He's like, I define the top. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes in to say, he's like, I don't even, I don't even like the word acting anymore. He's like, because it implies lying. He's like, I, I just prefer to, you know, I become the character and then I feel, and then you see that. And I was like, what a treasure. (laughs) Nicholas Cage. (laughs) That's true method acting. (laughs) Um, I love it because... In almost every movie, whether or not you think Nicolas Cage is over the top or not, Nicolas Cage is never in the same movie that everyone else is. That's I think that's the you and I mean. I just yes, he he is whether or not you think it's over the top, he is going for it and he is going he always, so hard for those characters. Always gives a memorable performance, no matter what the role. Yeah, and I think it's wild that Con Air is one of his more reserved performances. Oh yeah. It's very um, national, like you know what I mean, national treasure esque, uh-huh. where it, it is reserved, but it's just wild in some cases. It's more wild by his reserved pieces, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah. the, I'm an army ranger. Like, <laughs> never or, leave a man behind. Our, our introduction to Nicolas Cage when he's in prison and he's just doing like extreme upper body strength training. <laughs> <laughs> Do some squats. You got, you're <laughs> neglecting the nah, lower No, this half. is a man who can lift himself up from a cross-legged position by his fingertips. He doesn't need squats, man. <laughs> I also love... Like, can we talk about the beginning of this movie um, with Nicolas Cage, where he's an army ranger, he's coming back from war, I presume, um, and there's just three guys in an Alabama bar who hate soldiers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just you know just hate them just for no reason just hate those guys do not exist in alabama (laughs) the one yeah well the one bar in alabama that has three dudes who hate soldiers um (laughs) and they're just like i mean if they're if those guys are in alabama they certainly don't look and talk like that yeah yeah um and they're just like what if we fucked with this family um and they're just like let's just i don't know let's stab him with a broken bottle like that's the the whole plan um let's commit murder yeah (laughs) (laughs) just for fun um and so nicholas cage like sees that he has a knife and gives him the bottom of his hand uppercut into his face and uh, snaps his neck is presumably what happens like he does so i thought he drove the nose into the nose bone into the brain well that's what i thought but then i was thinking about i was like i'm pretty sure he hits his jaw yeah it's like a, it's like a, it's not a closed fist. It's the, like the monkey paw, like heel of the fist type of thing. Okay. So he hits him with enough jaw. force that it creates a percussive blast. Off no, I'm of pretty his sure chin. it's supposed to snap his neck. I'm almost positive it's supposed to snap his neck. 
<laughs> so it, it goes backwards and presumably snaps his spinal column or something like that and just instantly oh, kills spinal him. column <laughs> which is wild because he never has enough force to kill anybody else the rest of the movie <laughs> well he because he's learned his lesson i guess so uh, he's, yeah. he's learned self-control that's what he learned. He's rehabilitated. Are a weapon. <laughs> Just the judge really handing it to him. Yeah, basically using like boxer rules, like your hands are deadly weapons, and so if you hit yeah. anybody, yeah. Anyways, Man. he gets into prison, and then he has a correspondence with his wife and child. Very impressive young child, Casey, uh, writing a full letter to her dad about how she's going to daycare. Um, I don't know how old she is when she's going to daycare, but if she's like a normal kid is like four years old and she's writing and reading full sentences. Yeah, get her out old. of daycare. Get her into like a head start. Yeah, holy shit. Send that kid to college. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're kind of on the whole sequence of him in prison, I would like to talk about it is very subtle. And I texted you guys about this in in the midst of all the family pictures, the things from his family. You get a glimpse of like an orange paper with like a navy blue and black face drawn on it that's like wearing a crown and there's words written all around it and like it looks like a hereditary style self-portrait that Cameron Poe has done in prison because I like caught some of the words before it changed I didn't have a chance to pause it but I caught some of the words and it ends with like and fuck you and like it's these big like white eyes on this navy black face like like, oh, no. like some demon or spirit and it's like what is happening here i'm gonna find it we're gonna find I it i couldn't find it anywhere online there's a youtube clip i'm trying to watch right now that says con air poe in prison that that might have it I, my computer's freaking out I, I don't think i'd like skype in this video at the same time it's okay if we if we find it we can post it on the pod account there we go so something I want to talk about is just the character work in this movie in general. Um, this is an all-time so, cast. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ving Rhames is incredible. This Diamond Dog. Who, I, there are so many weirdly progressive things in this movie that I don't think it was trying to do on purpose. But uh, like the the whole like, and I'm not advocating for <laughs> <laughs> that's actually not it but that's also incredible i find <laughs> we'll post a couple of these pictures but yeah like ving rames is like the extremely anti-nra guy he's he's one who's like i get where you're coming from uh, but him john malkovich like we can't he, there's gonna be so much discussion on john malkovich i feel like because his whole character just incredible dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle's uh, surprisingly good in this movie. Yeah, he's really, really good in this movie. Like, I I think the line read on, hey, you're not going to be mad at me when you make it through this, right? And he lights <laughs> the guy on fire. That's so good. Like, I love Chappelle in this role. You also got Danny Trejo in this Danny yeah. Trejo playing an extremely problematic character. but Yes, yeah. a lot of, lot of issues with Danny Trejo. But I love Danny Trejo I mean, also, as an actor, so I was happy that he was in it. He he plays that creep well, though. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think we can really... Okay, I take one issue with one of the characters, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but we can't really take issue with a lot of these guys because they are evil, like... Yeah, they're supposed characters. to be evil characters, right. Like, like described, they are the quote-unquote worst of the worst. And there's still tons of problematic elements with it. But it's it's hard to knock the movie for that in the way they handle some of those things. There is an element they try and handle with one of the characters, however, that is probably my only real issue with the movie. But we are not in that section yet. What else did you guys like about this movie? Well, okay, talking about characters, and I texted you guys this. I want to cover this before we um, move on. Surprisingly well-written and while I know, uh, so Sally can't dance. I know probably written as a punchline and a joke and just a male prisoner cross-dressing, but they don't ever completely specify. And Sally can't dance actually comes across as a trans character who like all of the other inmates are respecting her pronouns. And like, I don't know. It's, 
very interesting the way they handle it. <laughs> I remember like, I remember thinking that it was going to be a problematic character and then seeing it and being like, there was nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so weird that the only, like, way it's used as an actual punchline is when Nick Cage chooses not to punch her in the face and slaps her. And, like, even that is, like, Nick Cage res- recognizing that she identifies as a woman <laughs> and his weird code of honor. I, I still have to knock you out, though. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. He's like, I I still have to absolutely wreck this as I'm just, like, rampaging through the plane. But I'll stop and I won't hit a woman. And so it's it's so odd how they do that. Because I think, I mean, at the time, I am not really willing to give them benefit of the doubt that that was done on purpose. I think it was intended as a punchline and it ended up actually being some fairly decent. I'm not going to totally say well-written, but one of the more respectfully handled trans characters and especially in an action movie from the nineties. Well, yeah, I would say especially for 1997. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, and one final character note. We, this is like, this is my last one. Sorry. Ving Rhames ripping a heater while wearing a backwards hat and firing a handgun at a helicopter is just an incredible scene. Gotta love Ving Rhames. Yeah, just standing on the back of the open hatch of the plane, just ripping like <laughs> a Marlboro Red and just firing a handgun. <laughs> Who among us has not wanted to rip a handgun at an airplane before? Absolutely. Um, I You know something I, I like, even though it's dumb, is the... Um, the asshole DEA guy oh, who yeah. is just fucking hates John Cusack for like no reason. Like, <laughs> and all we really know about John Cusack is that he's wearing a suit and he's wearing Birkenstocks with socks, which is again, another really like, that's the only character they really give him. You know what I mean? They're just like, okay, yeah. this is a guy who wears sandals. So the other guy's like, fuck him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well then like later he talks about how he's off trying to save the rainforest or something. The DEA agent says yeah. that. So I think it's implied like, He's a hippie of some sort in this Liberal, corporate. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and so... <laughs> That's all they do for him. I also love that that guy's like, wants to save the rainforest? Fuck him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this guy, big big time burn it down guy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's a weird stance, this guy. Well, that's like the first they like the felt the felons have taken the plane, and he's just immediately, well, shoot it down. <laughs> <laughs> my my guy's dead. Let's go yeah. ahead. There is no middle for this guy. <laughs> oh man. Um, this is a borderline like hate uh, thing. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. This movie is shot in a very '90s way, with lots of um, like 45 degree angle oh, yeah. shots. Zooming in at yeah, 45 the degrees. Angle. Yeah, like a like a car on fire that zooms in. It's like angle shot, and then it's like back to the action. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like these interspersed angle mm. shots um, within the other action. And I was like, I just feel like you don't see that very much anymore, but it was a very, like, very early to late 90s, even early 2000s style. I don't know, man. I, true artists still employ the Dutch angle. See, uh, Kenneth Branagh's comic book masterpiece Thor. <laughs> that is true. Actually, there's I so take many that Dutch back. angles in there's Thor. a lot of that. Yeah, I didn't know that was called the Dutch angle. I learned something new today. I knew I'd seen it in tons of places, but I I think in practice it is not good, but I think it works <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, well, and I I think that's the whole point is like it's it's a product of that time, but like exactly like you said, Ty, like in Thor, it it's super weird. You know what I mean? Like it, it does makes, not work in Thor. It makes the movie feel weird. You know, it just doesn't work with what it's trying to do. The aesthetic has gonna, to match. Yeah. If we're going to talk about this, talk about why that works, we're going to have to talk about Creed again. Because uh, Creed just, the movie or Creed the band? No, Creed the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, get real, Jeff. Of course, Creed the band. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. But no, it, it is just very much... it. It's similar to Twister in the way that it is just a very quintessentially 90s movie in the way it's shot and put together. Are 90s 90s movies just bad movies that people love? Is that just the decade? 
I think there's a lot of that. I think, well, I mean, like, if you think of the best movies of the 90s, right? Like, I really like Con Air, and I have a lot of fun watching it. But I don't know that you would say it's one of the best movies well, of the it's, 90s. it's not critically good, no. Ooh, Batman Forever is from the 90s. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think every decade has movies that eventually just feel like a product of the times and mm-hmm. has either not i want to i don't want to say this movie has ironic appeal because I, th- I think there's maybe a little bit of ironic appeal but i think there's also just like some fun stuff in it i think it's genuinely a fun movie yeah i think a movie can be bad and fun yeah and you can like those and i think that's, that's kind of where this yeah. sits yeah and i mean there there are a lot of things like that from I'm, I've pulled up a list of just 90s movies, and so even, uh, I mean, so your Oscar winners from the 90s are Braveheart, Goodwill Hunting, Titanic, American Beauty, Life is Beautiful, Forrest Gump, Scent of a Woman, Saving Private Ryan, uh, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Pulp Fiction. Those are all very 90s as well. Right. Like, they, those are certainly higher quality, but they have those weird 90s trademarks of the way the movie is put together saving private ryan does also include the dutch angle at one point mm-hmm. uh when he's sniping when that guy when our the sniper is taking out the guys in the tower yeah so i mean yeah. i think you can you can look at i mean every movie is a trend off of each other right so a movie that does really well financially like movie studios are going to take what they think was good about that movie and try to employ it in their other ones, you know? Mm. And I think those those movies that do really, really well are ones where you can tell it is more director-driven than right. maybe studio-driven. And I think this is probably a movie that feels a little bit studio-driven. Where this is like, very studio-driven, let's get, like. let's get a bunch of really well-known actors. Alabama accents. People love yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think, and it, like I said, we really like this movie. We still think it works, mm-hmm. but it's it's good because it's fun. It's it's not necessarily good because it's incredibly high quality. I I do think though, like you make a great point because just kind of reflecting of scent of a woman being an Oscar winner in the '90s, and it's just like you gave an Oscar to a movie that has Al Pacino shouting "hua" and saying things like <laughs> "she's got a great ass." Yeah, but I mean, I, I also feel like like Oscar-nominated Oscar winner is a also sometimes a product of the period, too. I mean, like, we got Parasite and the year before we got Green Book. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So, like, it's a little... 90s also gave us Meet Joe Black, where Brad Pitt gets just yeeted by a car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I gotta move on from '90s movies, but the the distinct feel of each '90s subgenre is so interesting because '90s horror too is there are '90s horror is either very small and like intimate and close knit, like Blair Witch Project, Misery, or it's like Scream, The Faculty, the Kevin Williamson type horror. So it's really just the '90s are wild for movies. You know, a lot of Dutch angles in Scream and The Faculty, yeah. too. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and that uh, Wes Craven really likes the Dutch angle, and Kevin Williamson likes to really build on the Wes Craven aesthetic. I mean, Kevin Williamson just wrote... I think he directed Faculty. No, Rodri- what am I saying? Rodriguez directed Faculty. Williamson might have done I Know What You Did Last Summer. But the fact that there are so many of these 90s teen horror movies that are all cut from the same mold show that there is a very distinct thing about the nineties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's keep moving. Now that we've just started talking about 90s subgenres, what is there anything else we like about this movie? I feel like we could talk about it forever. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Okay. What I do not like about this movie, the, uh, the attempt at redemption for Steve Buscemi's character and the yeah. way it's handled. I don't think that's great. I don't know how I feel about Steve Buscemi's character in general. I remember watching it before and loving it. And I watched it this time and I I was way more middle of the road than I had been before. And I don't even necessarily think it's about how they handle mental illness because it's, I mean, it's the 90s. Like, I just feel yeah. like every movie is going to not do it super well. But I also, I agree with you that, like, he he essentially is presented with the choice to kill the little girl and doesn't. And so then I think we're supposed to be like, all right, he's good now, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I never got that vibe. Like, I was like, oh, well, he decided not to kill her. Well, I mean, he still killed 30 people, so. Yeah, well, yeah. see, that's the thing. I I think that's how most of us take it, but I feel like the movie presents it in a Tries way that we are to supposed believe, to. Yeah. Is supposed to take that as his redemption. Well, it's then like, he goes to not, Vegas. Well, see, that's Enough, how I guy. Got, like, I took it as it's setting him not killing the girl aside. I was, I had the feeling like he escaped the the plane crash basically unnoticed, and I got like this feeling of like, well, now he's going to go out and murder people again. I didn't get the feeling that he was rehabilitated, and now he's going to live so, this good life. I got the feeling that because they talk about him being lucky and he talks about how like or they talk about how his whole thing, quote unquote, came from being uh, just like getting fired, like bad, just bad stuff happening to him that made him, quote unquote, snap. Yeah. Um, and that now he's in a better situation because he's in Vegas and is about to hit it big. I don't know. It's it's that and it's just the. The whole, like, that we should be applauding him for not murdering this child that he comes across <laughs> is tough. Yeah, and, and I, I think I'm with you, Riley, that, like, I think you can interpret it how you want. I, I don't know exactly how the film is is setting us up. I think it could be either one. Um, but I think we're supposed to like him at the end. Whether or not whether or not he is planning on murdering or not, we're supposed to kind of like him because he didn't kill the girl. I do love his intro, though. I love some. Yeah, I really so like some of his dialogue on the plane. You know, and he's like, "Well, what's insane? I drove around with a woman's head <laughs> as a hat for three hours. Yeah, I wore a head as a hat." I mean, I think Steve Buscemi is a great like as a great person to play that, right? Yeah. Like, I think he can play an insane, Glad I quietly that insane guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually just the same character from Billy Madison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what character I totally forgot and has like a ton of plot points is. Um, Swamp Thing, um, yeah, like MC Ganey's character, um, it, he, he, like he's not top billing, you know, and obviously, like I recognize him from other stuff, but I don't really know like an MC Ganey movie necessarily. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is like he just has so much story. Like I would say he's more important than like a lot of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Well, so I actually, I had like some wish fulfillment happen with Swamp Thing because partway through the movie I was making notes and I was like, oh yeah, my Domhnall Gleeson award is definitely Swamp Thing. And then he got like a significant amount of story. <laughs> as soon as I wrote that down, I'm like, okay, well. I'm like totally losing my mind. I know MC Ganey from a ton of other stuff. I had this exact same moment last night and I couldn't find out what. I, Let me pull I up his IMDb. Put it together. Oh, he was in Club Dread. Django. He was in, he was in Wild Hogs. That's Who not was he I know in Django? From. Um, I'll tell you. I think he was. You say Django? Yeah. Hold on. Was he one of the Klansmen in Django? Big John Brittle? Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the Klansmen. Oh, yeah, he was yeah, one of the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, one yeah. that got. Uh... One of the Brittle brothers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's been in a lot of shows. Like he was in mm-hmm. The Mentalist, Girl Meets World. That's not what I would know him from. Um, Justified. I Man, I still need to watch Justified. I feel like maybe I just know him as a character actor. Oh, yeah, he was I think in that's it. he was in Lost for 19 episodes. Maybe that's where I know him from. Lost another one I haven't watched. Seasons 1 through 4 are great. Yeah. Okay. Um seasons 5 and 6 get very JJ Abrams. Oh boy. Yeah. That's uh, I also meant to uh meant to bring that up uh the the quality of Lovecraft Country is just all over the board. I'm still having a great time, but there are elements of it that feel very Rise of Skywalker. There's just a whole lot that happens. Let's talk about Con Air. Yeah. What what else did you guys not like about this movie? Uh, yeah, so I like Nicolas Cage. I like him doing his thing. I like having an insane accent. But a lot of Nicolas Cage movies do this thing where he does his whole insane over-the-top performance and then is also supposed to be seen as, like, incredibly charismatic, uh, which he is just not. Uh, Gone in 60 Seconds does this as well. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, he's trying to be cool dude, 
and like action star at the cool same dude time. that like a bunch of women are like falling over themselves for and it's like this guy yeah no that's not hap- that's not happening yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um what did you guys think about the insulin subplot i mean i guess it's not subplot because it's kind of the whole reason um, he stays on the plane but like yeah, I, I I don't know. I like like you said, they had to figure out some reason for him to stay on the yeah. plane. But I feel like they could have come up with a better reason than his cellmate being diabetic. Yeah, I it it makes no sense. Well, it's very clear that they like make him an army ranger so that he has the no man left behind thing, so that he won't leave his cellmate behind. Yeah. So like, I just feel like there's so many things they're trying to do with the character that it gets pretty muddled. Um, so, I mean, his his friend can't even get off at that stop anyway because they were waiting for three white prisoners. That would have and been they, enough they to stay on. They say that in the movie. Yeah, you could, like, they just, they use that as the reason for him not being able to get off. I Maybe it's an attempt to limit uh, Nick Cage's resources, though, too, because well, he Nick doesn't Cage, have an ally in that Nick sense. Cage could have gotten off and chose yes. not to, and because, they had to give him a reason um, not to. Yeah, because his cellmate couldn't get off. And they, they give you that. They even say, you know, wait a minute. John Malkovich says, not you. They're waiting for three white prisoners. Cool. That's your reason for him to stay on. Yeah. He doesn't have to also be a diabetic. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Maybe they have to do it so that that way that they don't have, like, they're not a duo and it has to mm-hmm. be John Cusack. And which, by the way, young John Cusack looks like Miles Teller. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've never made that connection before, but like, you could have put Miles Teller in, in a remake of Con Air and it's basically the same thing. I think Miles Teller looks just enough like a lot of actors. That he gets work. Yeah. He's got a face like a big apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> I like Miles Teller, and I will go to bat for him. I don't dislike him. I think he's pretty good in, um, I mean, he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, which is which, Whiplash. But Oh, yeah. Another one I still have yet to see. Oh, man. My I blind fucking, spots are weird, man. I fucking love Whiplash. I know. I, I gotta do it. Uh I uh super pumped to see him as the Gosling in uh Maverick. Oh yeah. Yeah. Should we come back? What uh <laughs> yeah. What else do you not like about Connor? <laughs> I think we're grasping at My straws. mind's starting to wander. Yeah. yeah so we can move I, on I to the think, next thing. Yeah, let's move on. Uh so let's do your standout scene. And I've got mine nailed down. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. So mine is uh uh Saladino. Was that his name? The uh, drug lord who oh, yeah. sets up the whole thing with the plane? San- I think it's Sandino. Sandino. His death and the ensuing fireball that happens when he's like, sigh. And John Malkovich Anara. finishes him off, Anara, and they throw the <laughs> cigarette into the gas. Oh my God. I, like, also, something this movie does right, though. It crashes into the gas tanks and the gas tanks don't immediately explode. True. It waits until there's a spark, and there are a bunch of sparks coming out of the back of the plane, so maybe it should have happened before then, but um, it waits for that heat source before it takes off, and I'll I'll give it that. That's quality. But yeah, then the sayonara, and then the first fireball, and then the subsequent like three fireballs that each affect a bunch of different characters, <laughs> <laughs> and it just... This scene just continues on, and it's just a massive fireball that's continuing to engulf different characters in different areas. And I just, I had so much fun with that scene because it's the perfect encapsulation of what this movie is. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think my my number one scene is actually just when they take over the plane in the first place. Um, like, I think that's really well crafted and kind of lets each character like have a little moment. Um, I also really like, I just like John Malkovich's character in this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it is a little over the top, but it's also just like Malkovich just kind of cooking. Um, and yeah, I, I like that. So I think that's a scene where you just get to kind of see if he's supposed to be this intelligent genius, you kind of get to see that come to fruition with the plan. Another scene I kind of want to touch on. You just mentioned Malkovich really cooking in this movie. Uh, another really great one is the argument between uh, Diamond Dog and uh, Poe about killing the guards. And when Malkovich is just kind of like pacing on top of the plane and talking to them, that's just I didn't pick it as a standout just because it's a small scene. But that's some of his best like dialogue and delivery. Um, I'm going to go. 
<laughs> I'm gonna go with the uh, the fight underneath the plane. Oh, with Billy Bedlam. With Billy Bedlam and Poe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with the very obvious, this pipe is jetting out. <laughs> that they break, <laughs> and then he kills him and go. He does the. Well, now why would you have to make me go and do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reluctant murderer. Right. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. He kills like 10 people in this movie. They made him do it. He had no yeah. choice. They didn't want to have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and then no and then like nobody realizes that until like the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Bedlam just not important to the plan. Yeah, Billy Bedlam, like, number three in the hierarchy of this plane. And they're just like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. He's somewhere. He was the muscle, but you also have the muscle with Ving Rhames. <laughs> By the way, who gave him that? Who gave him the nickname Ving? Who lived with him in college? It was Wasn't another it, actor. Uh, Stanley Tucci? It was Stanley Tucci. That's right. Love the Tucci man. All right. All right. So let down let scenes. down scenes. I've hinted at mine already. Mine is the Steve Buscemi tea time scene because that just it doesn't work for me at all. Because I mean, we're supposed to supposed to applaud him not killing this random child he found. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Does the, should the scene exist versus did they do that scene the best way they could have? Are probably two different things. Um, I don't really have a problem with it, but I, I get where you're coming from. I think Miley's favorite scene is, um, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise, like the rape scene or Danny Trey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, That's also not great. I don't, I don't really think I have to say much about it, but I don't the, love that as a plot. The second time anyways. he tries to rape her in the movie. Yes. The second time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good one. Um, just to give something different, um, I'm going to go with the opening. Like <laughs> yeah. giving Nick Cage That's a reason a reason to go to jail and the music choice is just so <laughs> over the top and like you said we have three Alabama hillbillies that are somehow anti troops. <laughs> well, <laughs> I also like the, I love uh, that he holds like Vietnam against Nicolas Cage. I was going to say we haven't talked about the Vietnam line. <laughs> so he's pro war but he's mad we lost Vietnam. Yeah. This dude just then, loves yeah. pro-war anti-troop. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just not a good opening scene. He's also the guy that treats it like sports. Like, he's not going to join the military, but he's really going to cheer on everything that they do until they let him down. Well, he's an Alabama fan, so that makes yeah. sense. He's the, he is the, uh, that, what was that one, I think it was a Vine. Of the little kid going, saying, like, the kids are, like, picking on He's like, hey, you just disrespected a future <laughs> U.S. <laughs> Army soldier. Yeah. And he's, like, 10. <laughs> God, yes. For a second, I thought you were going in the, uh, I have the power of God in anime on my side <laughs> direction. No, that, that would have been Nicolas Cage's role. <laughs> Just what's the two-hour backstory of that kid pre-Vine? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do our Domhnall Gleeson Award. And I I gave mine up earlier. I don't have another one, uh, but mine was Swamp Thing, and then he got he got a huge role after I chose him. <laughs> um, I I think, I mean, you could really pick anybody. John Malkovich is in it too much to probably get this award. So I would probably go Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Um, he, he dies pretty early. I would have liked to see him do the whole thing, but yeah, I was going to go with Dave Chappelle. Also, I felt like he brought a good, uh, comedy relief aspect mm-hmm. to it. And, and naturally, um, yeah, that's the best part about his comedy relief. He's not, he's not turned into a punchline. It's not slapstick. It's just, he is funny. He's a funny dude yeah. in this situation. Yeah, so... I do think the second half of the movie is missing some levity. Right. For sure. so I think I it's think, real serious. I think keeping him on the plane would have been good. Yeah. Well, he was on the plane after he died, but then they disposed True. of him. <laughs> All right. So, following that, do we go into our draft? Is it draft time? 
I think I so. I think so. All right. So today, since this movie is filled with just an unbelievable amount of tropes, uh, including a fantastic one of any time a slot machine gets hit, it hits a jackpot and fires out a bunch of money. So we are going to be uh, going through our favorite three tropes. If you're not familiar with a trope or what that term means, it is anything that basically it's a cliche. It's something that happens in a lot of movies and it's been overdone. Or maybe it's been done perfectly and we'll talk about some of that. Who knows? So Ty, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I'll start us off. And I'm going to go I'm going to go worst to first. I'm going to start with my number 3. And honorable mention for me is the exposition dump, similar to the uh, the Big Trouble in Little China exposition dump where they just explain the entire situation uh, with the reporter. But my number 3 is going to be the mirror scare. Damn it. Anytime Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime somebody shuts a mirror and or like they go to the mirror, there's nothing behind them. They open it, they shut it, and then there's something there. That and any variation on that, I love it. Love it every time. <laughs> I believe there's one of those in uh, the Evil Dead reboot. There is. All right, Riley, I'll let you go second since I just well, stole one. Well, so now I have to go third. Like I have to do my, we're doing worst to first. Well, that's how I'm doing it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to go with my top one. Um. This is a trope that is best highlighted in the movie MacGruber. And that is <laughs> the war hero or ex-cop who's who's reluctant to get back in the game. Yes. And the giving some version of the line of, that was a lifetime ago. We're completely <laughs> different people. But the players are the same. <laughs> yes. I'm so you got really close to taking my second one. Uh, they they kind of I think work I, together. Yeah, I think I know which. Jeff, you're up. Okay, I'm gonna take one of my favorite ones so that hopefully nobody else takes it. I'm gonna do with, and it's in this movie. I'm gonna do the character who refuses to kill and ends up killing anyways. <laughs> um, Roadhouse by, baby. Either by like not catching them from falling off a cliff. Or like they do something self-inflicted, or or they end up killing them or maiming them for the rest of their life, which is the Batman special, where Batman <laughs> has paralyzed like over four hundred people for sure. Like he may not have killed that many people, but they are certainly like battering to the fucking neck, like <laughs> completely you know. just gashed across their face for the rest of their life. Yeah, bedridden. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's one of my favorite, and and Nicolas Cage. Is, does not want to be a killer and kills at least 10 people in this movie. <laughs> yes. So when when he kills people, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with my number two. When he kills people, how would you maybe describe him? Would you say he's Reluctant? possibly a loose cannon when he lets go? Because <laughs> my favorite is the, the police chief talking to his loose cannon cop. Yeah. Turn in your gun and your badge. <laughs> you can't be trusted out there. You're a risk to yourself and to your partner. Anything, any variation of that. Can't follow protocol. <laughs> he knew the risks. Those I don't care. Rules. You're a danger to yourself and those around you. Turn in your gun and your badge. And I always picture Dennis Farina when I imagine this. <laughs> Dennis Farina, all-time police chief. Yes. With an all-time police chief gut in Manhunter. Yeah. All right, Riley, you're number two. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the classic uh, badass walk away from explosion, which also present in this movie. Yeah, with this was an ensemble walk away from an explosion, <laughs> which I don't think we have in any other movies. Um, but always a classic. I gotta think of That's another one. one though because you took my freaking mirror <laughs> scare. Dude, the mirror scare is just so good. Um, All right, Jeff, you're number two. I think my number two is the heist plan that has to change. Um, I've never seen a heist movie where the original plan is just carried out without having some major change that has to occur. Oh, but then 
Then you have the heist plan with the major change, and it turns out the major change was part of the original plan the entire time. That is time. true. That is true. That's the that's the peak of that. I think that's the Ocean's Eleven special. Yeah, yeah, true. I was gonna say I'm pretty much just describing any Ocean's movie. There's 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 a variation of that, which is that the heist plan, which this is in every heist movie, the heist plan that appears to not work, and then you find out that it actually did work because the yep. thing that should have prevented it from working was part of the plan which is basically the same thing you're saying but it's like that was that what you saw wasn't the real heist i love it yeah all right so my number one and prior to just abandoning the bad news machine of twitter i've talked about this one frequently of being my favorite trope um it's also been mentioned if you are on twitter or just keep up with horror writers anya stanley um at bookish plinko on twitter has talked about this one and that is the haunted house setup. Anytime that you have a paranormal investigator coming in and setting up all of their equipment in the house, that rules. And I think Insidious is the best example of this. It's so good. It's one of my favorite haunted house setup scenes ever. As they're just, you go through every room, they're putting in their flashbulbs, they're putting up their readers, their meters, all kinds of things. It's so, so good. I, I saved agree. that one because I figured you weren't going to swoop that from me. <laughs> All right. Um, this one's on the fly. Um, All right. I'm going to go with the sports movie ending that ends in a loss. Ooh. Um, the movies always go, it's like to the last play, go slow motion and either the receiver doesn't catch the ball or the basketball rims out and everyone's let down. <laughs> but then they, but then everyone's like, but it wasn't about the game. It was about each other. The real victory was the friends we right. made along yeah. the way. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. That's a, uh, Friday night lights does that, right? Friday night lights, coach Carter, um, something else. I don't. I couldn't tell you a bit. Yeah. All right, Jeff, your final pick, and then we'll go into ratings. All right, I'm going to do my honorable mention and then my top one. My honorable mention is the cat scare. Yeah. The, the false scare in any horror movie where it, it turns out to not. It's really it's the first ten minutes of the movie it turns out just to be a cat or something that you don't have to actually be scared about. My number one movie trope is the zinger before or after killing the main villain. Yes. Yeah. So you got the, you got the UBKA motherfucker. You got the, I've got I'm here came here to chew bubblegum bubble and kick gum ass, and, kick and ass. I'm all out of bubblegum. You got uh, Long Live the King from Scar in Lion King. <laughs> Notable action movie. <laughs> you got some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill from Wesley Snipes in Blade. <laughs> um, um, I think. Just Arnold in general. Yeah, stick around. Yeah, I was gonna say stick around is my favorite. Yeah, there, uh, there's a bunch of them. So, God, they're so That's good. That's number one. That's a good pick. That's oh, a good one say what Ooh, I forgot your favorite one, Ty, which is "Smile, you son of a bitch." <laughs> yes, from Jaws. Oh man, see, I always forget that one because it's like not directed at a human, but <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is in the same category. Man. I like anything a, where it's a single word, you son of a bitch. Like, that's oh, the so, best. yeah. So yep. one time, story time here. My dad and I, we used to watch the like the sci-fi movies, you know, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And we watched, it was a Christmas one that came up and neither of us had seen it. And I said, I bet you anything that the one liner in this movie is Merry Christmas, you son of a bitch. And it was <laughs> word for word. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you what movie it was. It was a piece of crap, but I nailed the one-liner. There you go. That's incredible. That wasn't uh, that wasn't Silent Night, Deadly Night Two, was it? I don't, I don't know. All I can tell you, this movie was they were. It, okay, it's not Krampus, but they their town was controlled by this snow globe, and whatever happened in the snow globe happened in the real town. Uh, it was wild. Mm. And they ended up throwing up the snow globe into like this crack in the earth, and that's when he said, "Merry Christmas, you son of a bitch." And... <laughs> so does that mean the town was just like swallowed by an earthquake? No, but somehow it it saved the town. I don't know how that works, but 
<laughs> All right. Well, before we get out of here, let's give our rating to Conair. Riley, you can go first. Um, hold on, let me let me check my letterbox because I remember what I put this as. It's really tough to rate this movie. Because yeah, it's like, do you want to go with how much you enjoyed it or how is it, you know, critically? Um, I went. I think I'm just going to go with a six. I'm going to go just. I'm going to plug it in the middle of the road. Um, by no means should this movie win any awards, but it is very enjoyable um it's just if there was a playlist for movie like bad movies we love this would be like the first one you put on there oh yeah so for me i'm i'm gonna go ahead and piggyback off that because i have similar reasoning uh i'm i'm a little higher than you but i think i have to go either seven seven and a half whatever i gave the phantom menace because that, that's my benchmark for a movie that is not good, but I love dearly. And so that's that's kind of just like the I couch all those movies right around the seven or seven and a half. So I'll go with seven here. All right. I am also going with a seven for basically the same reason. I think a seven, a six and a half, a seven is a perfect rating for a movie you know is bad, but that you enjoy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or movies that reach really far like they do something unique but the story's not very good so it's one of those two things where there's one aspect of the movie that's awesome and another aspect that's just not quite there so i think this movie is a seven for me as well all right all around great episode great movie fantastic movie to discuss uh because it's just it's an experience anyway this has been another episode of who the hell is this for thank you for listening 